you can think it's what you want, um, but the reality of something is never A, what we imagine it to be, and then B, like, you just can't really know if that is going to play out. You've got to experience things often, right? Hello and welcome back to another episode of HB and Jing engage and um, my name is Dwayne Andrew Kerr your host today and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Emily Casey founder of what to health and self-professed medicine defector how are you today Emily I am great thank you how are you doing I'm very well thank you thank you thank you very much for sitting down with me and um, to have a chat about you and your career so far at the very tender age of 27. Um, you were very interesting to us here at HPG because of kind of the route that you've taken in your, your current uh, career. Um, very unorthodox, very niche, um, which is always great for people to actually see what other aspects of of healthcare they can venture into that's maybe not on the normal beaten path that everyone takes. Um, but first of all, let's let's bring it all the way back. Um, so you, you decided to start off your studies at UNSW in medicine. How was that? Look, um, it was awesome. Uh, I was sort of in the undergrad track so I was fresh out of high school. Um, I did take a gap year beforehand, but always wanted to be a doctor. So I was super excited about it. And, you know, medicine is one of those things where <laughs> you kind of go wherever you get in. Um, and it was super exciting for me to make the move from Melbourne up to Sydney um, to one of Australia's best unis. And at the start, it was everything I sort of, you know, thought I dreamed of. Uh, there were so many smart people and I was learning so many interesting and fascinating things. Um, and, you know, you get to help people or that's the kind of the goal when you're in med school, you're not really helping yet. <laughs> um, but it was it was really wonderful at the start. And then you said it was really wonderful at the start. What happened after that? I guess what we're sold on careers is never really the reality, right? Um, I'd sort of grown up around a few medical people. My mom was a nurse, so I knew how hard and long, you know, doctors and health professionals always worked and things like that. But when I got into med school, I sort of realized that, you know, there was a lot of content, which was awesome, but it was almost like you were regurgitating a lot of content um, and just learning how to solve those problems, which is great. But there wasn't a whole lot of room for, I guess, you know, creativity or operating outside the lines and more specifically from the system side. Um, I got really kind of disheartened as I was going on placements and seeing how things worked that it's almost like you were pumping through people kind of at the quickest rate possible. And it wasn't that, you know, deep helping people go back to the root of the cause and things like that and just the way things were allocated and running with the system. It's almost like those problems in the system that were preventing people from getting help was sort of you know, really bugging me um, a little bit, you know, the money and policy side. And then as well, as I you know, saw each of the clinical specializations, I was like, is there anything here really that I want to do for the next 10 to 15 years of my life? All super interesting and loved it. 
but I really liked, I guess, the variety side of things. So, you know, was looking at emergency medicine and things like that, but I just couldn't quite find my place. So I started to, I guess, you know, wonder if there was another path that might be for me. I did a heap of extracurricular things in uni, like all the student societies and um, medical student societies and worked with partnerships and stuff there with big organizations. And that was really fun for me, just seeing how, I guess, business worked and, you know, working with people in a different dynamic. So it's sort of put business as a maybe category. Um, yeah. And then I guess the other thing that was, I guess, a, a unique-ish experience was I had a lot of medical issues in medical school. <laughs> so uh, accelerated mm. learning, you could say, um, and got to experience firsthand the patient side and was in and out of hospital a lot, um, had five or six surgeries and probably mm. about six months all up as an inpatient at different times. And that was really freaking hard. Um, and uh, I guess if, you know, I was struggling that much and I had direct access to some of the best health professionals in the world, I kind of wondered how other people did it and saw, mm. you know, really firsthand those, the problems in the system again. So I, I just wasn't sure that I wanted to be, you know, in that clinical side or the clinical side for me at that stage in life and took a step back yeah. yeah that's totally that's totally fair i think for especially a career like becoming a medical doctor it's one of those it's one of those ones where you have to kind of be sure to an extent that you want to do that because it is such a long process to become fully quiet as an md and and start working um, in whatever stratosphere that may be, whether that's in hospital or as a GP. Um, so time and money and all those sort of things co like come together. To, 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 so you got to make sure that the decision you're making um, to go through with that is the one that you want. That's it, right? It's such a big commitment. And I think it's also one of those things where you can think it's what you want, um, but the reality of something is never, I guess, a, what we imagine it to be, and then B, like, you just can't really know if that is going to play out. You've got to experience things often, right? Yeah, ex exactly. I think experience is one of the, the, one of the main um, attributes in order to become successful in today's world because we all go to school, we all go through uni, but it doesn't really uh, prepare you for the life that and, and the world that's really out there. It's not until you actually get into the workforce and see things happening firsthand that you realize that the the version of what I depicted life to be outside of this is not is not what I thought, you know what I mean? And it, and it really is about getting down at ground level and, and seeing things on a day-to-day -day basis. And then, then you can now understand how things work and what changes you can potentially make. And that could be in any industry from from health to technology and um, to fintech, it all it all pretty much stems from a solid foundation of understanding what's out there. Um, but you, you mentioned that obviously going through med school, you realized that nothing within that realm of healthcare kind of sparked your interest and made you want to, I guess, carry on with that. Um, so can you touch on the, the start of, I guess, your, your startup experiences and then kind of what was the driving force behind you and for you getting into startups? 
Yeah, for sure. So I guess um, I was four or five years in and um, I didn't want to jump out of med totally. So I took an internship in finance, um, kind of random, but, you know, gave yeah. me a great experience um, in business and in real business, not just what you study. And um, that was at Westpac and Westpac had a venture capital arm um, called reInventure, which basically invests in technology startups. And, you know, it liked finance. It was never going to be purely for me, but I got the, um, the pleasure of sitting in a few of those meetings with some startups and I knew nothing about technology or anything. And just hearing these guys and the problems they were solving and how they were doing it, it was like, oh, this is really interesting. Um, so from there sort of asked around and learnt about a couple of the innovation hubs um, one of which was called Stone and Chalk, ironically, that um, specialized in fintech at the time. And I ended up working there down the track, which is a bit of a come home moment. But yeah, from there, I guess I started going to a bunch of the Innovation Hub open days, a lot of the startup events, because there was just so many around in Sydney at the time, um, and then took a bit of time off to travel. Um, and once I came back, decided I, I wanted to try a few more things in startups. And so volunteered at this thing called StartCon, which was an awesome experience. Um, I ended up with the role as like sort of speaker runner. So I got to like meet guests or um, speakers coming in and then hang with them and walk them to the stage for their presentations. And at, at the time I knew nothing about any of the companies or anything, but I got to, you know, talk to big investors from Silicon Valley and Luca Nia, who is the CEO and founder of Safety Culture, which is one of Australia's, you know, unicorns and stuff. And just meeting all these amazing people and learning about what they did, um, as well as, I guess, you know, sort of the passion and culture behind it. I was like, damn, this industry um, really could be for me. Yeah. That's um that's so good. It, it, ironically, when you say that about, I guess, getting in from the ground level and doing small little jobs at these conferences, we were at a conference, um, not that long ago, and we were trying pretty much having a few conversations about career insights and how you can get into certain industries, like uh, I guess into regulatory regulatory affairs, and one of the one of the advice that one of our uh, recruitment specialist said was um, the industry is quite hard to get into so sometimes something that may seem simple as in volunteering at conferences is such a good way to to get in there because through that you're going to meet so many people and so many people at like executive levels um, and above that will will stead will stead you in goodwill moving forward because once once they can put a face to the name a lot of the times it's not about what you know, it's about who you know. So that's like so that's such a, a, a good way for people to, to get into certain industries like like what you've done yourself. I couldn't agree more. And that's like such a beautiful example, right? Because from there, um, I guess I met a few people and like, uh, I guess networking isn't really that big in healthcare. Um, it's a bit mm. more about what uni you went to and it is important, but not to the same level as I think a lot of career um, fields. But from there, I you know met someone at uh, the venture fund Airtree, so went and signed up to their talent pool and took an internship at a HR tech 
company, um, okay. which is called Employment Hero, and they're also now a unicorn. So random. Like that was my first startup job, but to credit, like I just got in there and got to know people and did everything I could, took all these low, well, theoretically low level jobs, um, but networked, I guess, my way into most of my roles, to be honest, from there. Um, it led to like, you know, finding out about a program called She Starts and I had my own early stage startup. Um, and then it was purely based off, you know, the networks and connections there that eventually led me to a job as community manager at Stone and Chalk. Um, which was a completely people-based role <laughs> um, and and I guess a really great entry point to the industry properly. I love that. And it's so crazy that the route that you've taken, which I, I'm assuming based previously with your experience in, in medicine um, as a student, leaving that end up in the, into startups. And then that led you to starting up your own venture called What the Health, which the name I love, amazing. So can you give me a bit of a background about, on, on that and what exactly is it? Yeah, for sure. So uh, What the Health is a newsletter and community all about tech and uh, health tech and innovation, um, primarily focused on Australia, but now it does have a bit of an international audience um, and we definitely tie in a heap of international themes. Um, and I suppose it stemmed from me seeing a problem in a weird, unconventional uh, way. When I was at Stone and Chalk, my job was basically to help startups from all different industries um, get them what they need to you know, grow and scale and succeed. And that was everything from corporate partnerships to helping them you know, tell their story and pitch to get investment from investors to you know, specific programs, helping them with different elements. And so I spoke to a lot of founders regularly. And when COVID hit, um, a lot of health tech sort of became front and center and it hadn't been that big in Australia. But I had a heap of health founders reaching out, asking questions about, you know, how to get into hospitals, how healthcare industry worked and, you know, really basic commercialization things. And they were yeah. years down the track. I was just like, how do you not know this? Have you not spoken to anyone in the industry? That, yeah. That's really concerning. Um, mm. And then similarly, I kind of had a lot of, you know, health professionals asking me about technology and investors started to talk about health and health tech. And it just became really, really clear that there was sort of big gaps in knowledge as well as big yeah. gaps in connection in this industry, which is very classic of healthcare, super siloed, not a lot of things and pieces talking to each other. Yes. Um, so I spent like a year then, you know, leaning into the problem, learning as much as I could from Australia and abroad and helping a few companies was like, oh, you know what? I love talking to people and like telling stories. Maybe I can turn this into a podcast or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. And I was just you know, frustrated and that's where the name came from. It was like, what the hell is going on? Basically, like seriously, yeah. how is this happening? Um, and so I ended up starting a little newsletter when I was ironically recovering from a surgery and on leave from work, bringing together all the bits and pieces that I thought were kind of relevant in the industry um, in, I guess, a fun, lighthearted way. Lots of memes and emojis and didn't really think anyone would read. Um, there's definitely a few people reading now. I think we're... Yeah. <laughs> 
Just a few. Just a few, just a few. <laughs> yeah. We kind of quickly grew um, into the hundreds and started doing events just because I was talking to all these awesome people who were sort of looking for each other. That's where the, the community element came in. Um, and now we're over 2,200 run like events regularly mm. in big cities and have been really lucky enough to work with a heap of awesome, you know, founders, experts and investors in the space and uh, hoping to roll out a few more bits and pieces to help um, continue that mission. Amazing. And do, why do you think there seems to be um, a lack of, I guess, information and connection within within the health space? Because we've done a couple of other podcasts with um, um, medical researchers um, from the North Shore Hospital. And that was uh, that seemed to be an issue with them as well, where they think one of the the most important things moving forward within within healthcare is that information between different areas is shared a lot more because they do feel like it's it's quite siloed, and one part of healthcare doesn't have a clue as to, uh, about what other parts are doing. Why do you think that is, and and what what do you think is the best way to kind of combat that? Oh, what a <laughs> giant question (laughs) um look i think it sort of comes down to the way that systems were designed and also the culture is a really large part like often in hospitals i found and continue to find that you know the department next door will use a totally different system and not even speak to the one here and so Mm. if you you know change departments you can't get access to the same information and things like that and that's kind of the way that healthcare's always been run. It's been a bit, you know, setting up for each specific thing and you do get funneled off very early into specific segments. And I think healthcare has also been so incredibly under-resourced and stretched that there hasn't really been the time and investment to create the bridges and, you know, understanding and also just basic infrastructure for that sharing. Yeah. So now we've sort of gotten so far down this path um, with lack of, you know, investment in that stuff that now we're like, oh, shit, there's all these hundreds, thousands of disconnected parts and we don't even know where to begin. (laughs) So I think it's sort of it's a tricky one and there's no single solution, but it comes back to, I guess, you know, starting to invest in that education perspective for everyone to bring them on the journey, as well as providing some sort of, you know, I don't know if it's sort of d- databases or just routes. They could be people. It could be technology to provide that bridge really specifically. Yeah. And that's kind of a tiny bit of what I guess I've started to do just through the form of media, right, and events. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's definitely needs to be way more across multiple areas to try and uplift and then bridge those gaps. I, I, com- I completely agree. Um I completely agree with that because from the standpoint that healthcare and everyone within healthcare knows this, that it is a complete ecosystem and what you do as a physiotherapist will have an effect on me as an ortho orthopedic surgeon. You know what I mean? Everyone is aware of that. So it's, it's, there is a knowing that we all are one, but yeah, I guess it's the, the idea that we need to be aware of what one side of healthcare is doing um 
so that I can then further do my job a lot better. And I think with the with with social media and the access to information that we do have now, whether that's through LinkedIn, Instagram, podcasts like this, YouTube, whatever, I think the information and the willingness for people to learn, not just um, clinicians and people in healthcare, but even just the general public, I think that willingness to learn um, is definitely on the rise. Even for me personally, I find myself learning a lot more through social media when it comes to the healthcare industry, just because the information's out there and the, with the way the algorithm works, it kind of just starts giving you random bits of information that you'd never knew about or searched for, you know what I mean? No, 100%. That's that's it, right? That's so interesting to hear. It's I think COVID too, I'm not sure how you feel about this, but really accelerated that. It's just been like everyone was forced into learning a bit about and upskilling about healthcare. But it's yeah. the first time that people have really, I guess, had that extreme pressure um, and mm-hmm. that there's needed to be clear communication and upskilling and it's not going to stop from here there's there's huge trends in you know general public sort of wanting to know that stuff and so i think healthcare needs to shift from like this paternalistic view to actually enabling people and empowering people too um and making sure that there isn't actually misinformation (laughs) because that's the, the most dangerous thing Ironically, I think it was the sense of fear that kind of pushed people to learn more. You know what I mean? That I guess if we use COVID for an example, whenever um, it was at its its peak, they were bringing out information every every day. Whereas normally, we don't really hear much about what's happening in healthcare unless it's an it's a crisis, which I think is needs to be fixed. You know what I mean? That's that's so true. Hey, it's like that extreme fear and extreme personal relevancy. Um, but it's such a shame too, because I feel like you're right that we don't hear about it unless there's a crisis. But there's been a crisis under our nose for kind of a decade or so, at least, um, and it's it still hasn't really been addressed. So it's quite interesting. Um, talk to me about what's some of the the, the exciting things that are happening in health tech at the moment that you that you're loving? There is so much. Health tech is really in its early days. Um, I guess health is kind of the last industry in tech and innovation to really, you know, hit the ground running. And we saw a huge uptick in investment and things coming out over the last year or two, which is great to see. Um, But, you know, all change is slow. I think I'm personally very excited about the push towards preventative health and sort of that empowerment element for people and that's everything from you know the increased capabilities of things like apple to enable people to engage with their health stats and then you know programs that help that from the preventative side and even for people with you know more chronic conditions just these really basic technologies and programs it's going to change heaps from you know an affordability and accessibility perspective And then you've got, you know, some more sexy things like the AI that is helping um, read scans and sort of, you know, address information at scale because health data has always been super unorganized. um, And, you know, we're starting to find ways to utilize that better to, you know, both save time and things for professionals, but also improve accuracy of outcomes and things like that. Um, But 
Yeah, I think it's for me personally, it's everything from the um, the patient perspective that's most exciting, as well as some of sure. the almost like going back to bio and looking at people's individual, you know, makeups and things and how drugs affect them or treatments can affect them. I think that personalization exactly. is going to be huge. I think the personalized um, aspect of healthcare is going to be so important where people are starting to move away from the one size fits all um, route because that, that doesn't obviously help. Um, the personalized aspect is something that I think is so important and especially and i understand where within the healthcare space it's it's quite difficult because i feel like within the healthcare region especially frontline workers they are so there's just so much going on and a lot of the time there's not enough so i think a very 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 important part is kind of i guess tunnel vision a little bit on that and trying to create um a work environment where it is possible where people can actually or healthcare workers can actually delve a little bit deeper into each patient that comes into them so they can i guess create a bespoke version of treatment for them couldn't agree more that's kind of it right it's like the one size fits all really doesn't apply to humans yeah. and so we've got a long way to go but it'll be exciting um if slash when we get to that point for everyone for sure. And in, in terms of, I guess you can say healthcare is slowly upskilling um, their industry with personalized um, care and um, preventative medicine or preventative treatment. And um, what, what are some of the things that you would say you've done in terms of upskilling to, to help get you to this point in your career? Oh, um from a like general perspective or health specific could be could be general could be healthcare specific oh that's a, a wonderful question i guess um i put down a lot of my learning to self-driven learning in a weird way um i'm kind of one of those people that once i find something interesting i'll go all in um but honestly the biggest things for me have been speaking to people so when I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And then when, you know, I got on this tangent, I messaged everyone on LinkedIn and, you know, gave them a really salt, like just a reason, a background and like, hey, this is what I want to talk to you about. And did a lot of, I guess, learning about things directly from people as well as good resources. Um, and then yeah. from there, I sort of, you know, jumped on books and podcasts and online courses and just devoured as many as I could. Um, I also work in venture capital, so now on the investing side for startups. And, you know, I, I was always told that you needed a master's in finance or something to go and do that. And, um, you know, I think that helps, but it's not entirely true. I learned by just talking to hundreds of startups and investors and a lot of great online courses like Techstars runs a free venture capital program. Um, and a lot of the VCs and things are now rolling out programs too. So I was lucky enough to get into um, Airtree's Explorer program and learned a whole lot that way. And it's kind of just, I get learning by doing and finding a lot of the right resources on the internet. For sure. Learning by doing, find the resources and speaking, speaking to people, I guess, would be one of the, the those top three. But um, just to finish off, um, 
do you have three tips that you could potentially give to someone who's kind kind of thinking about taking somewhat of a, a similar route to you? <laughs> three uh, tips. <laughs> I would one, never re- <laughs> recommend anyone go my route. I wouldn't route recommend going my route. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, that's terrible. I've had an awesome time. My route has been very windy. Um, windy yeah. And sometimes I think there's real beauty in that, right? Like now everything makes sense, but everything can always only make sense when you're looking back on it, never forwards. Yeah. All in hindsight. Yeah. These are going to be really cliche. Um, I like cliches or cliches for a reason. Going ahead. That's so true. That's so true. (laughs) (laughs) I think the first one is sort of just indulge your curiosity. Like, don't let anything hold you back. And if there's something that interests you, follow that. Um, My second thing would probably be find good people. Um, and surround yourself by them, whether that's, you know, online, even just on Twitter, (laughs) or there's some really great online communities now, or going physically to events. Um, Just seek it out. Um, It's always going to be uncomfortable at first, but I think the people around you make the biggest difference in your mindset and opportunities, to your earlier point. Um, And then the third thing I'd say is just, you know, Get comfortable with being uncomfortable. <laughs> I like that one. That's my favorite. <laughs> it's the suckiest one, but yeah, I think that's <laughs> the biggest thing. And every day I still often feel like I'm going to vomit over something. That sounds so dramatic and terrible, but <laughs> it's like the only real indication you're sort of growing. And I've found as well that actually by leaning into that fear is where you will get the best outcomes that you're after. Um, yeah awesome thank you very much Emily thank you it's been super fun chatting yeah that was very very fun but just just to finish off could you just let people know where they can find you so that could be your personal Instagram or LinkedIn and then where they can find what the health as well for sure Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn under Emily Casey um, I should be linked to side stage ventures or what the health Um, and you can find out everything about what the health at whatthehealth.io it is a substack newsletter but there's also a heap of other resources and things you can find on the website perfect thank you very much everyone for listening and to another episode of HPG Engage